want to give you this morning that the Lord just really put on my heart. And last week I told you that we're going to start a new series, and we're going to run it for a couple of weeks, several weeks actually, and it's called Put Yourself in the Bible. So if you've ever heard me minister before, you've heard me say, as we're reading the scripture, now put yourself in that story. Because it's easy for us to read the Bible and to see they did this, they did that, at the end it is all worked out and it's wonderful, right? It's got the little pretty bow on it at the end, and you think, man, what a great story. But if you're in that story, that's when it gets really difficult, because you don't know what the end of that story is. And how many of you know all of us are in the middle of our story? So we're not sure yet what God's going to write the end of our story or what the end of our story is even going to look like. So I want us to put ourselves into each one of these stories. So if you look at Hebrews chapter 12, Michael, I'm so sorry. It's, it's, you don't even have to go there. I'm just going to tell you what it says really quick. You can put it in your notes. You can look at it on your own. You can look at it later. It says, we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And it goes on to talk about all the people who have gone on in the faith ahead of us. And the imagery that we get there is that they're all up in the grandstands looking down on us. Now, how many of you have ever been in a football game and you've been down or close to the, the field or something and there's tens of thousands of people and the roar that's there is more like, <sighs> right? Everyone's talking individually. Can you hear what they're saying? You don't hear one individual. I mean, you got the mamas up there yelling for their son out there to win, to score, you know, or they hurt her little boy or whatever it would be. you got all of these individuals, but what you hear collectively isn't that. So sometimes that's what's going on in our life. They're up there looking at us, the Bible says. Even our loved ones, my uncle that I found out passed away last week, was up in the grandstands watching us last week for our first service. He's watching us today. My grandfather, oh my gosh, moving right along. But those who have gone before us are all up there watching us. And they're cheering us on, but we can't hear the individuality of what they're saying. So we're going to take this opportunity to look at the people in the Bible who have gone ahead of us and kind of look, dig into their story and put ourselves in there to say, hey, what would it have been like, and this morning we're looking at Daniel, what would it have been like if we were Daniel? Dear God, when you hear everything that Daniel went through, Thank you, Jesus, I was not Daniel. I could go on. There's Joseph. There's all these other people. Man, thank you, it wasn't me. Lord, I'm, I'm really happy with the, 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 the things you've given me, even though it's difficult sometimes. Thank you, it wasn't some of these other people. But the book of Daniel took place around 607 B.C. during the Babylonian invasion of Jerusalem. So we know all throughout the Old Testament that the Hebrew people did good, and they prospered, they backslid, and they were taken into captivity, into slavery, and they had all these opportunities, and they just kept going back and forth, and they're not learning their lesson, or you know, generations pass, and they're just having these, these difficulties. So here we pick up in Daniel chapter 1, and the whole nation of Israel is completely in captivity. So in chapter 8, and I'm going to skip through a lot of this, but I'm telling you the chapter and verse so you can actually go back later and look at it yourself. But in verse 8, we see that they had selected the choice people of the Hebrews, and they were going to make them elevated slaves. 
So they were going to train them to be in the king's court. So they just picked out the very best, the cream of the crop. So we see that Daniel is one of the cream of the crop. And so they wanted them to assimilate into the Babylonian thoughts and the way they do everything. So what they wanted them to do is to eat what they ate and to do everything that they're doing. And Daniel didn't want to do that. Now, we don't see that God tells us that we're supposed to be vegetarians, but we do see that Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego all felt that need to be vegetarians and not eat the king's meat. I don't know why. That's one of those things we'll find out someday. But I want to show you Daniel's heart in verse 8. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food. Now, imagine, there are the best of the best of the slaves. Okay, the king, it's people have gone through and called through all them, and they pull them in, and they're at the king's table. Okay, so the king's eating the same food they are. So this is like the richest, the fattest, the best of everything. And they felt it would defile them. So they said, we don't want to do that. We don't want to drink the wine that they're drinking. So he sought permission from the commander that he might not defile himself. Isn't that awesome? Have you ever noticed that? He went and asked permission to do something different than what the king wanted him to do. He didn't have this arrogant, well, you know, I'm the best of the best. By the way, I am Daniel. There's going to be an entire book written about me. So in the Bible, they're going to know about me forever. I'm not eating this food. He wasn't arrogant. He sought permission. And that just really jumped out to me as I was studying that this week. He asked for permission. And the guy that was in charge of that, you'll read the story. I'm going to you know, give you cliff notes of this. He's really scared the king was going to chop his head off if he found out that they weren't eating what the king was. And they said, hey, listen, give us a trial. Let's just see. For 10 days, let us see what we want to eat. At the end of the 10 days, you judge and see if we are doing better. If we're not, then we're going to eat the other things. That's not the point of what we're doing. I mean, if that's the only struggle that Daniel went through, that wouldn't be too bad, right? That's not really a day in the life of Daniel that we're looking at. But I want to bring our attention to that to show that they still had respect even in captivity. But verse 18, the days which the king had specified for presenting them, so to see how they were doing, and after all this time, they were brought before the king, Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked to them. So they're one-on-one, FaceTime with the king, Nebuchadnezzar, which was a gigantic kingdom, okay? This bigger than even meeting with the president of the United States. I mean, they're like ruling the whole world at the time. And not one of them was found like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they entered the king's personal service. So they're just getting promoted and just getting all this personal attention that's going to them. Now, I want you to see that they're in the personal service of the king. So they're not like number 750,000 down the line that, you know, the king just stands up and waves or, you know, they salute him or whatever, but they're in the personal service. So they're right there with him. Verse 20, and as every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them to be 10 times better than all the magicians and conjurers who are also in his realm. So the king is not Christian. He doesn't really, believe, he's not buying into this whole Hebrew thing. He's just got them added on to all this other stuff. So he's got all these magicians and all these sorcerers and all these people that are just what we would say the fortune tellers of our time, you know, the people that are right there. So he 
He's got all of these people, and he just thinks he's got the best of the best. He's got everything he wants. It's like he's got a new toy. All right, you with me? So then the king has a dream in chapter 2, verse 1. But he did something very unusual, and it would be very challenging to us even today. So I'm going to read this really quickly, and we're just going to jump through here. You guys know I love a lot of scriptures, so we're going to just, just wade right through. It'll go quickly. Now, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, he had a dream, and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. He's sleepless. He can't even sleep because this dream has just gripped him, all right? Then the king gave orders to call in all the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans, and everybody to tell the king his dream. So they all came and stood before the king. And he said in verse 3, I had a dream and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. Have you ever had a dream and you're like, man, I really like to know what that meant. I know people say, man, I, I don't know what to make of this. Was this just pizza? Or is there something, you know, some higher power is trying to tell me? Or you don't really know how to take that. And it's kind of troubling. It's like, uh, now, man, if you had that same dream a couple of times, it's like, oh, my gosh, what's going on here? So this is where the king is. He's not sleeping, and he's really anxious. So he came to them, and he said, verse 5, The command from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, get this, you'll be torn limb from limb, and your houses will be turned into a rubbish heap. So not only you are going to be dismembered and killed in a very violent, horrible way, but we're also going to turn up all your wife, your children. We're going to turn up everything you own. Can you imagine? Now, be, think of the pressure you're setting there. You're setting here. And most of these sorcerers and people, they're, they're not hearing anything. They're just trying to make you think, you know, like what they think. So uh, tell me about your dream. Okay, so you had this dream. Well, I think it means that, you, and they're just, you know, coming, you know, out of thin air. They're blowing hot air at you. They don't really know what they're talking about, but they make you think that with their superlative street, um, speech. So they answer the king, and they said, how about you tell us what your dream was, and then we'll tell you what it is. And the king says, no. You tell me the dream, and then you tell me the interpretation. Because when you tell me what I dreamt, then I'll know that you really are knowing something. That's pretty steep, isn't it? Can you imagine somebody coming up to you and say, hey, I had a dream last night. Tell me what I dreamt. Are you kidding me? No. But now, it's not just like, well, you're stupid, and you know they walk away. As my friend Pastor Steve would say, you're an idiot. But this is like... We're going to tell you limb from limb. We're going to kill you if you don't know. Can you imagine the pressure that's on them? Think about it. Put yourself in their shoes. Now, they've seen the king's rage as he conquered all of these worlds. He wasn't just walking up to other kingdoms and say, Hey, I'd really like to have your kingdom right now. Hey, I'd really like to have your chariot. I think I'd look really good and I'd look better than you are. No, he's forcefully going in there, chopping people's heads off, killing them all, taking it by force. They've seen this side of him. And now he's saying, this is your future if you don't tell me the dream and then tell me the interpretation. Verse 10, they answered the king and said, there's not a man on the earth who, de- who could declare the matter for the king. In so much as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any magician, conjurer, or Chaldean. Moreover, the thing which the king commands is difficult, and there's no one else who could declare it 
to the king except the gods whose dwelling place is not in mortal flesh. So there's like the only one who can tell you this king is God. Okay, they're saying God's plural, you know, because they're worshiping all these things. But the answer is only God is the solution. You ever been in a place where God is the only solution? That there's nothing else, no one else, no flesh and blood can help you. Only God can. I think it's really interesting that they could come to that end on their own. But imagine the pressure on them. Verse 12. Because of this, the king became indignant and very furious. And he gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. Isn't that crazy? It's like, okay, off with your head. All of you, we're done. You're done. So the decree, verse 13, went forth that all the wise men should be slain, and they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. So the king doesn't even have them in his personal service that he's even asking them, if you see this, okay? Because he asked all these other people. They're not doing it, but Daniel is lumped in with the people that are all about to be killed. It's kind of humorous to me a little bit. So then they came to Daniel, and he replied with discretion and discernment to the person who came, the captain of the king's bodyguard. And he said, for what reason did the king make this so urgent? Isn't that kind of like matter-of-factly? So excuse me, could you please tell me why you're about to chop my head off? I mean, isn't that hilarious? I mean, wouldn't you be running for your life? And he's like, oh, can you tell me why you're about to deprive me of my head? You know, and, and he says, well, here's the reason. So then Daniel went in and requested of the king, verse 16, that he give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. Now, we'd already seen that Daniel was already 10 times better than everybody else, right? You read that with me, right? So here, he's got all this stuff cranking in his life, and the king didn't even ask him. Isn't that kind of funny? So then Daniel went back. Now, this is also kind of funny when you read it. Verse 17, then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends. Isn't that so matter-of-factly? He just lollygagged back and said, oh, by the way, guys, we're about to be killed. But there's only one way out of this. We've just got to ask God. Tell us what the king dreamt. Eh, it's no big deal, right? Can you imagine? So they're ready to chop everybody's heads off that are the wise men. And Daniel gets a stay of, ex- ex- uh, stay of execution and says, hey, just hold on. Supreme Court, time out. Okay, give me a minute. He goes back to his friends and says, hey, we're going to pray. Verse 18. So that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning the mystery. Now, can I ask you a question? Who gave Nebuchadnezzar the dream? So that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Verse 19. That night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So here they are. Have you ever prayed for somebody and it's like, Lord, I pray you whatever it is. And it's like, okay, now let's go have chilies. Let's go have a molten. Okay? You didn't really put all your intentionality on that prayer. You, you believe God can do something, but it's just like, okay, I prayed and I, I'm going on. Is that what you see them doing? If you're putting yourself in the Bible, is that what you see them doing? Or do you see them going, oh God in heaven, please tell us that dream. 
Please let me know what you to- what, what, what happened. God, do you think they slept? I don't think they slept. Because if they don't sleep, I mean, if they sleep and this thing doesn't work out, okay, it's over. Next chapter, new book. Okay, it's done. So, also humor in the Bible. Verse 20. So then Daniel said, let the name of the Lord be blessed forever and ever. Wouldn't you too? Wouldn't you be like, thank you, Jesus, you answered the prayer. Thank you, you told me what the dream was. And the confidence in him knowing his God. And he goes on there for verses just, just expounding his praise to God. Now, why did he do that? Because he was in a tough place. Beyond the proverbial rock in a hard place, he was about to be killed along with lots of other people, and God came through for him. Verse 24, Therefore Daniel went up to the bodyguard, who the king had said to go and destroy them, and he spoke, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me into the king's presence, and I will declare the interpretation to the king. Now isn't that cool? Now think about what we're doing here with Church on the Rock Dallas. That we're saying, remember we talked last week about the A, B, C, and the D's. For the people who are already Christians, the people who want to become Christians, the one who's still just like checking it out. People are like, I will never become a Christian, all right? We're saying, hey, we want all y'all in here, right? This isn't a just a us club that we all agree and we're all perfect. So unless you are perfect, you're not welcome here. Or it's not going to be cool for you to be here. Here Daniel is, and the other three Hebrew children, with all of the sorcerers, all of the witchcraft, all of the things that aren't godly, right? Wouldn't you want to say, hmm, take care of them, I'll tell you the story, but you go ahead and kill them. Is that what happened? Are you reading the same thing in the Bible I am? He said, don't destroy any of them. Isn't that awesome? That Daniel, respectful, Daniel had a heart for people, and he wasn't willing that any people, even though he didn't agree with them, even though they were false idols, he didn't want them destroyed. That's just so awesome to me. Still more humor, verse 25. Then Arioch hurriedly brought Daniel into the king's presence. Can't you imagine the, the king like, Go do this now. I gave you another 24 hours. Come on, time's ticking. I can't sleep. What is going on? And he goes running in there. He's like, hold the process. Daniel says he can do it. Verse 26. He said, the king asked Daniel, are you able to make known to me the dream which I've seen in its interpretation? So Daniel answered before the king. He says, as for the mystery, and he goes on to tell him the dream. Now, you can go read the whole story yourself, and I, I really encourage you to do it. It's fabulous First six chapters are all about these kinds of things. Now, that's a pretty good save, right? The king puts him up. He promotes him. He makes him second in command of the whole whole kingdom. And he just goes on and just says, man, this is just wonderful. He saved the day. Now, in James 1.5, I want us to look at where we're at in this side of heaven as well. The Bible says that he who lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, because he will give it to him liberally. 
So we're not just talking about Daniel, and this is just something way, way thousands of years ago, but God says, hey, this is still here. When you have a time that you need wisdom, it may not be desperate that you're about to die, but it may be a time that you need wisdom. Ask of the Lord, and he gives liberally. First. 46 of Daniel 2 again. Then the king fell on his face and did homage. He was worshiping Daniel. Isn't that stupid? Even people in the world, they don't really understand what's going on. And when God comes through, they worship you, thinking it has nothing to do with Daniel. This is the words he said. Surely your God is a God, capital G, of God's, lower G, and a Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries because you've been able to reveal his ministry. So he promoted him and does all this stuff. Then, chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar goes and makes this huge golden idol. So much for God being the God of all gods, right? Now he makes this huge thing and says, now everybody's got to bow down and worship this. So he also is just flip-flopping back and forth. There's this big save. He's able to sleep again. God told him what it was. He liked it. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are faced with why they're not bowing down. That's not the focus of the story today. But isn't it crazy how one moment, this huge thing that he's about to murder all of these people in the kingdom, now turns into something that God is the greatest God. One chapter later, he's forgot about God, and now he's erecting a golden image and saying, everybody bow down to this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are saved out of that. You know the story. If you don't, go read it. It's it's really crazy. And he again says, you have the great God. He's back over here in this column going, okay, God is great. It worked out really good. I can't believe that. There's four guys in there. We threw three in. There's four. I think that's the Son of God. Isn't it amazing? He knew who the Son of God was, even though he didn't believe. Chapter 4. Daniel interprets another dream. And this one isn't nearly as fun for Nebuchadnezzar. Chapter 5, we see Nebuchadnezzar's son, Belshazzar, is now king. And he's sitting there um, enjoying all the fruits of the children of Israel who were in captivity. And a hand pops out of nowhere and starts writing on the wall. Isn't this crazy stuff going on? I mean, we don't know if it's like the Adams family. It pops out of a box and goes... We don't know what it was, but it was disturbing. Can you imagine if you're sitting there eating, and all of a sudden there's a hand that shows up and starts writing on the wall, and you don't even know what it's saying? Put yourself in that story. He had grown up around Daniel. He had grown up with all of these crazy stories that had happened. But he, too, as... Nebuchadnezzar's son, had migrated over into following himself instead of developing a personal relationship with God that Daniel had. We see that in chapter 6 that Daniel was being promoted and promoted and promoted, and nobody liked that in the kingdom. In verse 4 of chapter 6, <laughs> Excuse me. The other commissioners, they tried to find grounds to accuse Daniel, but they could not find grounds of accusation or evidence of corruption 
because he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Even when he's in bondage and he's a slave, he's asking permission to do what he wants to do. He's got the greatest heart in the world. Now, don't you think everything should be going well for him? I mean, he's already solved these problems. He's already, you know, had these great successes. But what did those get him? Now, they decided they were going to talk the king into creating this other decree that everyone had to not pray to anything but this other false god. And the king foolishly did it. And as soon as that happened, we pick up in verse 10. Daniel knew when the the document was signed, and the next words are, he still entered his house with his windows open towards the sky, towards Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day. Now, he knew the decree went out that you're not allowed to worship your God. It was all about Daniel. They were trying to, you know, get him, which they did. But how many times for us, if we knew something wasn't going to be exactly perfect, we go, well, you know what? I can just close my windows and pray. Wouldn't that have been a great solution? They don't need to know. It's private. It's between me and Jesus. This is really just about me and God, and you know, no one else needs to know. Daniel still let it go as he had been doing, it says at the end. They were watching for him to do that. They caught him, and you know they threw him in the lion's den. And that's the story most people know about Daniel is the lion's den. But look at all the other stuff that had happened to him before. And God rescued him yet again and shut up the mouths of the lions that were starved and famished. But now, the whole purpose of this series is to put yourself in the Bible. So what would you have done? What would I have done? All of these scenarios, all of this stuff just being thrown and heaped on us. If another country came and took over the United States and we were made slaves. So we no longer are just free to go do what we want to do, but now we are slaves and we're selected to go serve the king personally and just do whatever he wants. How would you answer that? Would you have a thankful heart? Would I have a thankful heart? Would I go and ask permission to do what I think? Or would I say, you know what? I'm an American. I don't know what you're thinking. I ain't doing that. I'm better than this. Can you see what we could enter into something different than Daniel? All the way down to the very end. And even with all the things that happened with Daniel, the end of the book He's praying for another intercession. And he's praying, ask God to do something. And the devil in heaven is holding up the answer for 21 days. Hasn't the man had enough things happen to him? Can't Daniel catch a break? Have you ever been there and say, can't I just catch a break? Can't something go right for me? Can't something just work out right like I'd like?
want us to all look at ourselves in the Bible and look at the example that Daniel gave us. So if Daniel came down out of the stands and he's running with us, say, hey man, listen, if you knew what I went through, man, this is just like the highlights of it all. But think about his sleepless night when he's calling out for God. One of our banners that are right outside this door says prayer changes things. Do we believe that? Are we willing to get on our face and cry out to God to do something for our city, for our nation, for what's going on in, all around us? There's so many bad things happening in the world right now. We have Church on the Rock in Haiti that they're battening down the hatches today because the hurricane's about to go through. I've been praying for them for the last couple of days for Pastor Jay and that whole thing that's going on down there. Can we look outside of us here? We have a beautiful, sunshiny day today. It's not so sunshiny in Haiti right now. What about all the other needs? Can I really focus in on what God has? Let's pray. Father, I personally, drawing my own circle as my wife would say, am so challenged by the book of Daniel and the story of Daniel and how his heart was to be a great servant. He didn't try and promote himself. He didn't try and say that he was better than everybody else or make himself to be something else. Even though he had a great gift to hear from you, he still was a great servant. Lord, as we hear this message today, I pray that you will show us the right way to be. Father God, that you'll show us the right heart to have for those around us. For all the people that are going to walk through our doors. <coughs> for all the people in our surrounding neighborhoods. For all the people who are walking on the sidewalks, not really knowing. People are crying out in their homes, desperate, and they don't know what to do. Father, I pray that we will adopt more prayer time this week. That, Father, we will realize that prayer changes things, and we may not see immediate results. It may be held up for some reason. We may have to walk through something. But Lord, in all of these things, you received glory and you did amazing things that changed the country because of what went on. Father, I ask you help us this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.